Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for these precious children whom you love so much. Lord, and it doesn't matter what uniform we put on. There's not a Christian uniform per se. You clothe us in Christ. You clothe us with your Holy Spirit. Um, Lord, but what matters is whether we're a referee who gets the right calls or the bad calls, whether we're a doctor, whether we're uh, an athlete or not an athlete, or whatever uniform we wear out in this world, that's not what truly matters. That's not where we find our identity. We find our identity in, in Christ and being loved by you far more than we can ever even imagine. Um, Lord, and that's, that's what is most important and matters for all eternity. And so, Lord, help us to remember that you live in us, that we are to confess to you that we goof up, we mess up, we sin, and how much we need Jesus. And may we lean in to our relationship with Jesus, Jesus today, learn more about him and one another. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you all for helping me this morning. I really, really appreciate that. I want to encourage everybody to turn with me to John chapter 13, and we're looking, uh, we're finishing up this chapter beginning in verse 31, as we are in our sermon series, Come and See, where we're taking a look at Jesus, the real Jesus, and, and what we can learn from him, um, and how he wants to change us, um, and love one another as he has loved us. So we saw last week that Jesus, as he was washing his disciples' feet, it's immediately followed not only with betrayal by one of his disciples, one of his closest friends, but now we will see that it's also followed by denial. One of Jesus' three inner disciples is now going to even deny that he knows the man, that he even knows Jesus. Are you kidding me? You can't make this stuff up that is in the Bible. Our author, the disciple John, is not trying to sugarcoat anything in his gospel. It's just another check mark to its authenticity and to the reliability of the scriptures. And John gives us a glimpse into the struggles of the disciples and the incredible and amazing love, <clears throat> excuse me, and the love of Jesus. This is real life, and it's messy. And it's messy for the early disciples, and it's messy for us as his disciples today. And Peter, bold Peter, the one who would later cut off a dude's ear in the garden to protect Jesus. Peter, the one who was the first disciple to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior. The one who confessed Christ and on whose confession Jesus said that he would build his church. What is going on here? How did the disciples get to this point? It's a question we should be asking ourselves. How, how do we often get to the point in our lives where we choose to betray Jesus? How do we get to the point in our lives where we will even deny him? You say, come on, Billy, I don't betray Jesus. I don't deny Jesus. Really? 
Really? Truthfully? How about every time we break one of His commandments? How about every time we choose selfishness and sin over loving one another? I don't think I need to go any farther. I probably stepped on about every toe at this point. And if not, if the sins of commission weren't enough, what about the sins of omission and those times that we fail to love and do the obedient thing when we heard God's voice or the Holy Spirit speaking in our lives? My friends, beloved family, this should not surprise us. This should not catch us off guard. And it shouldn't have surprised Peter either. Why? Because Jesus predicted it. Jesus told Peter what happened. And Jesus or Peter said, no way. But the lesson was learned. Don't say no way to the great I am. The one who is the way and the truth and the life. Our pride gets in the way. Or our lack of self-awareness. We are taught it's not, we are taught it's not a strength to show our weaknesses. That's not the gospel. The gospel says bring it. Bring your weaknesses to the cross. Bring your vulnerabilities to the cross. It's in the cross where true toughness is found. And Jesus' blood wants to penetrate every, through every opening we have in our hearts and our minds if we will let Him. And when we do, it manifests itself in the utmost humility, lowliness, and gentleness as our Savior leads us. So let's dive in to our passage this morning. As some believe that Jesus' farewell discourse begins right here rather than starting in chapter 14. So as we head to God's Word, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that You would speak powerfully through Your Word. It was inspired, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, written by human hands, and is from You. And has been faithfully handed down for centuries. And we are now privileged to hear the very breath of God in this passage of this morning. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see who you are and who we are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. When he was gone, Jesus said, he being Judas. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will glorify the Son in Himself and will glorify Him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer, and you will look for Me. And just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you now. Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, 
where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. When Jesus, then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. The Son of Man will be glorified language in this passage is complex and it's, it's messy. And the events that unfold in John's Gospel will bring God glory. But it will not be an easy road for all those who will be involved. As we seek to glorify with our God with our lives, it's not going to be easy either. It's going to be hard and it's going to be messy. But we're called to, to stay the course, to, to lean into God and to trust Him. Um, and that He is sovereign. And that He is faithful. And that He will show up, especially in those times where and when we are at our weakest or lowest, and need Him the most. And as He shows up, He will bring with Him self-control and grace and forgiveness and love and joy, peace, whatever we need at the moment. One minute we may be feeling hopeless, and the next our cup is full because of what He is doing in our heart and in our minds. Life with God is an adventure. And here in our passage this morning, things are getting real. Really messy, but also real in the and that one can sense that everything that Jesus has been talking about in the future is now close at hand. His time with his disciples as they know it is coming to an end. And the next four chapters in John are commonly known as the farewell discourse. And it's in these chapters that Jesus prepares his disciples for his departure from this earth and promises, however that it's for their good. Why? Well, it's because of what we've talked about uh, this past week in our confirmation class. It's because Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit to indwell or to live inside those who love and know God personally. And that's a game changer. Things are getting real. Things are getting tense, intense. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus humbly washed the disciples' feet and predicted his betrayal. And Satan entered into Judas, and Judas has gone off to make war. To make war with the Son of Man. And now, now there's only 11 disciples left in the upper room with Jesus. They are well fed, their feet are clean. Their hearts are heavy, and they have a greater understanding of some kingdom things, but yet are confused about others. And they're going to receive a whole new command, but one of them is going to have his life jolted, his heart crushed. And so let's continue to join them in their upper room discussion, beginning here in verse 31. We're told that once... Judas was gone, that Satan entered into him, and the journey to the cross is imminent. The passion narrative began. 
and the course of events leading up to his death had been set in motion and would be quickly accomplished. Jesus took this opportunity to teach his disciples some new things, especially Peter. He was going to be glorified. And the question is going to be how that they're asking. How? Why? Why now? And sending Judas out, Jesus begins the intense path of glorifying God. Glorifying him meant preparing his disciples for his departure. It it meant an intense time of prayer for himself and his disciples. And during this last prayer session with Jesus, his disciples couldn't even stay awake. The disciples were not able to be spiritually alert in the midst of their physical exhaustion. God was glorified in Jesus' times of prayer. Jesus was also glorified in the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas and those who he brought with him came to arrest Jesus. Jesus was glorified when he allows evil to have its way and he did not resist their arrest. Jesus did not have his disciples fight for him, but he willingly went with them. Except for Peter. It's always Peter. And his quick reflex when he yields his sword and he cuts off Malchus's ear. Jesus was there to do some damage control like, like he always had to do with Peter. And uh, this time it involved bending down, picking up a bloody ear and putting it back on, on Malchus's head. God was glorified later that night as Jesus was beaten and humiliated and stood before the Jewish governing authorities. He was glorified through all the events that unfold and and led him to the cross. And the moment Judas left the upper room was the moment Jesus was committed to the death which Judas had gone out to make certain. And there's lots of glorifying language in verse 32. And so what was Jesus talking about? God will be glorified in his son Jesus as he begins this journey of laying down his life for us. His humiliation, his witness, his staying up all night, red-eyed, excruciating pain, and substitutory atonement on the cross will bring God glory. It's his plan. It's always been his plan to rescue and to redeem a broken and hurting world and bring about restoration. And so much happened the moment that Jesus took his last breath and died on the cross. At once, he took and bore our sins. At once, we were made right with God. At once, we were rescued and redeemed, reconciled, adopted, justified, sanctified, loved, forgiven, made at one with God. At once, given hope and joy and peace and grace and goodness. At once... Scripture tells us through Jesus' one and final act of love on this earth as a human at once. Look at verse 33. Notice Jesus' words of endearment to his disciples as he referred to them as his children and continued to prepare them for his departure. He let them know that his time with them as they knew it was drawing to a close. He reiterated to them, what he had told the Jews, and that he was going away, and they weren't able to join him for the time being. And that had to be at the the same time confusing, sad, 
devastating, demoralizing, heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, inner turmoil, creating. And are you kidding me moment all at once for his disciples? But Jesus then began to lay out what he expected from them while he was away. And we all, for those who have children, we all do the same thing, right? With our children when we're going away. And so Jesus, he gives his disciples a new command. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, like me, you've got to be thinking, what's new about that? Jesus has been teaching all along to love them all along, to love God and to obey the Ten Commandments, and that the Ten Commandments can all be summed up under two commandments, to love God with all our heart, our mind, and our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. So what's new about this teaching? Well, a ton. Jesus was about ready to teach them in hours ahead. And it had to do with, as Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. They were about ready to find out the extent of Jesus' love more than ever. The ultimate gift, the ultimate love. He had already showed them incredible humility in becoming like the lowliness, lowly of servants and getting down and washing their feet even the ugly and stinky feet of his betrayer Judas and he was about to give them both his body and his blood his very life the ultimate act of humility there are a lot of one another's in scripture that we are called to as, as a result of the scandalous cross and extravagant grace for now the love one another if you will will be enough, and it encompasses all the other one another's. In verse 35, Jesus says that the, the mark, the mark of a true disciple that serves as a witness to the world is loving one another. Is this the kind of love to be directed primarily to other Christians exclusively, or is it a broad stroke to all of humanity? Well, I think it's both. However, I don't have time to unpack it all now. It's been said that the new command that Jesus has given here is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate, profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. Love one another. Can I get an amen? Vodi Bakum says, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Jesus has given this new standard, as I have loved you. We can never be more than beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. Love one another. The fact that we have been commanded to love suggests that it doesn't come naturally to us. But maybe you already knew that. Back to our text. Peter was impatient. You know, there, there's a little poem that kind of makes this point. It says, To live above with saints we love will certainly be glory. To live below with saints we know 
Well, that's another story. Well, Peter was impatient and still stuck on the thought about where Jesus was going. Peter didn't know, and he wanted to be in the know. He wants Jesus to make it clear to cut to the chase right to the point. And so Jesus, please tell us where you're going that we can't go. And Jesus didn't answer Peter the way that Peter wanted him to answer. He kept Peter curious with a somewhat vague answer about where, but also that Peter couldn't follow him to who knows wherever he was going now. But Jesus did validate the fact that, yes, Peter can come. You can join me, just not now, later. Peter was still curious and not afraid to give Jesus the full court press. Not content with Jesus' response, Peter dug a little further and asked him a follow-up question. Peter went for the jugular, childlike, yet can be very annoying at the same time if asked, repeated over and over question. Why? 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 Why can't I follow you now? Why, Jesus? And then to up the ante and let Jesus know how serious he was or maybe try to persuade Jesus into telling him and giving away the secret to where he was going, Peter told Jesus that he was willing to lay down his life for him. That's how committed Peter wanted Jesus to know he was to him. And Peter was truly, I believe, uh, uh, 100% devoted um, and sincere in his devotion to Jesus. And then in our last verse, verse 38, we have the mic drop, the bombshell, the, the holy grail of all knows, the time Peter will wish he never asked why, because he won't like the response. It'll, it'll hit hard. It will be truthful, it will be painful, and one that he will have to live with for a while. Talk about the saying, truth hurts. Jesus delivered some bad news to him at this point. Devastating news. And the preciseness of Jesus' words. Not only will Peter disown Jesus once, nor will he disown Jesus twice, but three times. Trace. Uno, dos, trace. Three times the hurt. Do it once and you can say it's a mistake. Twice I goofed up. But three times... Should have known better, right? But Peter's mess-ups are my mess-ups. And they're your mess-ups. Peter is like me. And Peter is like you. That very night before Cockrow, he would deny his master. Cockrow was the third of the four Roman night watches. Halfway between midnight and and dawn. Someone has said that sadly, good intentions in a secure room after good food are far less attractive in a darkened garden with a hostile mob. Jesus has given us a new command, a whole new way to love. As disciples of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, we experience his love. We live in his love. We walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And then we blow it. And we fall down. 
But the truth of the gospel enables us to get back up. And so we get back up until we, until we fall down the next time. This love-grace paradigm is it's kind of like the herniated disc in my back or my left knee. I love playing hard, especially basketball. But the game of basketball over the last 12 years or so doesn't like me. My knee or my back will often let me know. And it's during those times that it literally brings me to my knees, if even that. And it's brutal. Torn this, torn that, bulging this, bulging that. But something always calls me back because I love it. You see, our sin can bring us down. Sometimes it brings us down to our knees in desperation, but it's also on our knees where we find hope and where we turn to God in confession and we confess our sins to God. And it's the gospel and it's the truth of the gospel that allows us to get back up. And it's because of the gospel that we can boldly approach God's throne of grace and God's path is filled with limitless love and grace. The path is narrow. It's only through Jesus. But the Jesus path is wide and deep with love and grace in every direction. He heals our wounds. By his stripes, we are healed. And that is the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, We thank you that Jesus is the Son of Man, fully God and fully human. And he came and lived a perfect life that we could never live. And Lord, he died the death that we could never die as he bore our sins. Lord, he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit, and and yet how often we choose to, to disobey him, we We doubt him. We betray him. We deny him by choosing to do what we want to do when we want to do it because we feel like we deserve it. And we only have this one life to live. And we want to be happy. We want to feel good. We deserve it. Oh, the lies of Satan. Oh, the attacks of Satan on our minds and our hearts and our bodies that deceive us. Lord, I thank you that Peter was able to get up and to reconnect with his disciples. Lord, how important it is to have other disciples around us to speak truth into our lives to throw our arms around us, to encourage us, to point us back to the scriptures, back to who we are in Christ, and to remember from where we have fallen and who it is who is helping us to get back up and to have the proper perspective, to put on, once again, not the lens of our culture or the lens of this world, but the lens of Christ and the lens of scripture. Or keep drawing us to your word. Keep drawing us to Jesus. Lord, and then whatever uniform we put on in this life, may we seek to bring him glory and point others to him. 
It's in his name we pray. Amen.